Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. different show today. I am a musician that has a podcast, an abuse podcast. I am a musician who is an abuse survivor. Now, I don't really have a, I don't have a script for today. I was kind of inspired by Pastor Al Deschanel to do sort of a music episode. I should have done it sooner. I just haven't gotten around to it. And I've had a lot of guests request to come on the show. So I am off this week and I'm going to try and figure this Juno synthesizer out (laughs) and see what I can create. Um, Well, music runs through my veins and it's a very powerful tool that we can use for healing from abuse. I'll have to say up front that my, my past with my abuse, even when I was angry at God, or I couldn't pray, or I didn't want to go to church. I'll tell you what, I had music. Music was there for me. Yes, I do know that God was there too. It was just the the lines of communication were kind of muddied there. Perhaps the Lord wanted to reach out to me, but I just wasn't ready. And, And that's okay. The Lord will wait for us. But God can communicate to us through music. Music can heal parts of us. You can communicate a lot of truths through music that may not be, you know, really easy to swallow. Music kind of softens the blow. That's one of the reasons why I started using music in my ministry with my um, abuse advocacy. One of my music mentors, as we were going through what my my branding was and what my, my goal was for my music ministry back in the day, He said, well, what's different about your music than everybody else's? There's always somebody that can sing better than you or play piano better than you or write music better than you or whatever. What about you is unique? And I thought about it a long time and I thought, well, it is my abuse story. And so she said, you need a platform for your music. Why don't you combine your music with your abuse story? So that was back in 2008 when this process started with combining the two. It has been a a bit of a journey because I had kind of a identity crisis for a little while. I have been playing, I've been studying classical music and in the Baptist church I played hymns. I sang hymns and conservative Christian music and that is all that I that I did. I rarely listened to any secular music. 
while I was in the Baptist church. Now, I was not raised that way. My parents have a very broad range of musical tastes and exposed me to a lot of well-written music. Now, I had a recent interview with Creatively Christian podcast with um, Andrea, who was on our show, Andrea Sandifer. She was a guest on our show, if you remember. I was a guest on her show, and I went into a lot of my creative process. So if you want to hear that specifically, um, I will put the link for the for that podcast in the show notes. We had a really good time talking about different things, but it was not very much about the abuse, a lot about the podcast, a lot about my music journey. And I am going to talk a little bit about my music journey today. Mostly want to talk about with you how music affects us and you'll maybe have a little bit of fun here in the process with my new toy. <laughs> yeah, music runs runs through my veins. I've been a musician my whole life. I've sang since kindergarten. I was in dance class. Let's see, I think I was 13 when I, I started doing dance, ballet. I did, I did ballroom dancing, I did partner dancing, modern dance, I was into dance, but I also sang and I was in choir and I was in school plays. We did Sleeping Beauty, we did Jungle Book and Music Man and that sort of thing. I was in the choir. I had not been through any formal voice training when I was a kid. I did have a bit of a natural ability because of my, you know, healthy exposure to different kinds of music growing up. I um, see my parents got me into Michael Jackson. I remember the Thriller album. Um, the Carpenters were wonderful, wonderful albums that we had to listen to. Um, Kenny Rogers, John Denver, we listened to ABBA, we listened to Linda Ronstadt, Beatles, Wings, Cream. Um, I'm visually looking, looking through my dad's record collection. We had Eric Clapton. We didn't listen to a whole lot of, very, very few blues. I wasn't exposed very much to blues or, or jazz growing up, except what was on the top 40, if anything. Uh, you know, Stevie Wonder, we listened to Earth, Wind & Fire, Chicago. Uh, we got into um, classical music. Actually, my, my neighbor, who was an artist, got me into classical music. He would play every time I came over his house, and he, you know, made... He made pottery and, and paintings. Uh, Western, he was a Western artist. He would play Tchaikovsky's Piano Concerto Number no. 1 in B-flat minor. Who, the conductor was Arthur Rubinstein. And to this day, that's my favorite. That's my favorite. One of my favorite classical pieces. I still haven't been able to play it on the piano, but, you know, there's always tomorrow, right? Anyway, I was into, you know, classical my dad bought Hooked on Classics. Does anybody remember Hooked on Classics? With the beat in the background. I still love Hooked on Classics. I, I recently bought a turntable and a, a tape deck because I discovered I had these tapes that I wanted to listen to. And my old car had a tape deck, but when we traded it in, I knew my car that I have now does not have a tape deck. And so I um, was testing out the turntable and my husband brought over Bolero and Hooked on Classics. <laughs> and it was great. It was, it was really fun to listen to. I can still probably name different composers based on, because they would, they would group all of the different composers and they would um, create some sort of a, of a loop or 
mesh them together. So they'd have like a, a Tchaikovsky um, section over here. And then the next one would be Bach. And then the next one would be like Beethoven and Mendelssohn, you know. So that was fun. Let's see. What else did we listen to? Air Supply. <laughs> Can't believe I'm admitting, admitting that. And Michael Jackson came into town right on his Thriller tour. And, and we had Off the Wall, too. Off the Wall is an excellent album, I mean. And yeah, you're probably screaming at me like, yeah, he was a, a pedophile and a child abuser. And, and yeah, it's really a shame that um, such a brilliant, brilliant man was messed up in the head like that. And we're only finding out the whole truth now after how many years he's been gone. But yeah, I so admired his work and then he just kind of went slowly downhill. But anyway, um, we had Michael Jackson came into town and I mean, we used to do the, the thriller dance in the living room with my neighborhood friends. <laughs> well, I probably could do some of it now still. So could you, especially this part. But we wanted to go to, um, to the concert and get tickets and uh, I definitely wasn't old enough to go to a concert. No, my parents wouldn't let us and my friends were like going to sleep in sleeping bags outside of the stadium to get tickets. Yeah, crazy times. So anyway, um, those are some of the things I listened to uh, growing up and you know, I love show tunes very much. My my now husband, Brian, he just he doesn't want me singing along to the show tunes that come on. That's it's <laughs> not allowed. Not sure why, but <laughs> Sound of Music is one of them. Well, you heard um, my interview with Brian. We talked about how his mother loved the Sound of Music. And of course, I would start singing the Sound of Music soundtrack, but he wouldn't, you know, he would stop me. <laughs> Love show tunes. So it wasn't until, it wasn't until college. It wasn't until I got saved. I was pretty much told that, you know, secular music was not allowed. You were only allowed to listen to Christian music and not only Christian music, but very conservative music. And even, even then different churches disagree about what is acceptable music and what is not. And I'm not going to probably go into all of that this episode. That isn't my goal. I want this to be a, a fun episode because I've been talking a lot about dark topics. We've had some guests on with some heavy material and I wanted to do a fun episode about music and maybe, you know, learn a few things. But when I went into college, I did a lot of singing and playing sacred music and hymns. And if you are from a fundamentalist background, you know who Patch the Pirate is, you know who Majesty Music is, you know who um, The Wilds is. Wilds music, Bible truth music, you you know all those. And I still love those to this day. I still love hymns. And some I, there are some I definitely I'm sick of and I don't want to sing anymore or bring back bad memories. I love classical music. I still love upper music. Uh, the church I go to now doesn't really, doesn't have a choir and doesn't have, uh, we have contemporary music, but they do some really good arrangements of, of some hymns, some really great songs of the faith. If you haven't listened to my interview with my pastor, Kyle Fox, go back and listen to that episode. That's part of a healthy church is having a 
a variety of different kinds of music that um, you use for worship. It, it shouldn't be only hymns, because I think that there's value in a lot of the modern day hymns and songwriters. Not all of them, mind you, okay? But there are a lot of, of scripture and biblical truths in modern song hymn writing. And I don't think that it should be all contemporary music in church either, because I think that our young people really are missing out on the heritage of some of the classic hymns. They're, they've been loved for centuries. So um, that's, that's kind of all I'm going to say about preferences, about what kind of music should be listening to in church. Those of you who are also musicians know this very well, that it's very difficult to get that music out of your out of your blood. So again, when I I came out of the Baptist church and started going to other denominations, the first thing I did when I, I went through my divorce was I recorded my first solo vocal album. And if you've been listening to this podcast, you may know the story behind that is that my abusive ex-husband, who was a record producer, who had done countless other people's music, have recorded other people's albums in 13 years, never did mine. And, you know, looking back, there are probably a few different reasons for that. But anyway, first thing I did was I hired a studio and I went into the studio and I started recording my music. So yes, my album is on my website for sale. It has been on there for some time. You can buy the album or you can buy singles. Um, but my my first album was difficult for me because I was in that transition of, okay, here's, here's who my fans are. Here's my inner circle in the Baptist church who have been waiting for this album. And then I have my new friends in my new church over here that don't really listen to the kind of music style that I was used to singing. Yes, I do have a couple contemporary songs in my uh, in my album, but again, I was kind of in the middle of the two extremes. So I really didn't have anybody to market the album to. I did not get a release party because the people that were in my old church community pretty much disowned me for divorcing my husband. Uh, my new community didn't really know me and was not familiar with my music yet. I had asked the church that, that I went to after I left my Baptist church if I could have a release party, and even they said it was kind of worldly, and they would not have a release party or let me use the church for a release party. So my, my, my friend Julie, who let me stay at her place while I was getting on my feet, she said, well, let me ask my church, which is a Nazarene church, hey, let me ask if we could use my church for a release party. And they said, well, you have to have insurance and you have to sign a release form and you have to provide all of your sound equipment. You have to pay the sound engineer, blah, 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 blah. They made it really difficult for me to, one, be able to afford to have this release concert and then two, be able to get the money back from <laughs> sales. I didn't really expect a huge audience, just my, my friends who are still my friends after I had left the Baptist community. 
um, my family was scattered all over the all over the planet, and this was before this was before we we did Zoom. This was 2008. Facebook was just kind of getting started. There there weren't any online meetings on a regular basis. That was not a a thing that everybody did. Maybe some businesses that did stuff overseas. Maybe they used some sort of Zoom or Skype to talk to people. But online concerts, I don't think even existed then, to my knowledge. Anyway, enough of that. Anyway, I didn't have a, I didn't have a release party, but I got my own website and I started selling my, my CDs and my digital downloads on my website. And I would tell people about it and I had, you know, I have social media and had no idea how to market for social media. <laughs> I still am very bad at that. I'm terrible at it. And, you know, I had one musician friend kind of accuse me of different things. When I recorded this album, I had, I had a job. I was working in the dental industry at the time. And so I had money to pay for it. And this was one of the things that I wanted to do, uh, among other things, when I, when I left my ex-husband. Because that was the way that he controlled me. That was the way that he felt threatened by my talent. I don't know. He claims that no one would want to listen to me. Although that's how we met. We met at church. I was singing a solo. And he liked my solo. And he asked the pastor to introduce us. And, you know, we started dating. He wanted to record an album for me. Before that, I was, that never even occurred to me to even do that because in those days, it cost quite a bit of money to do an album. Studio time is very expensive. The equipment to even do recordings at home is very expensive in those days. This was before. Uh, digital came along, but my now ex had a studio in his house. Throughout our marriage, he had a studio in our house and we'd had musicians over to record music anyway this was a long time goal that i've had and when one of my friends um got on my case when i lost my job through my, no fault of my own i won't get into why but i was out of work i was single i was in the middle of the uh, project and i was almost finished it I put the rest of the process on a credit card. I had quite a few credit cards. And my music friend said, well, why did you go into debt to, to do this album? Well, I'll tell you the story of why I have to do this album. This is, it's the principle of the thing. I need to do this album. It's long overdue. There's no reason why I shouldn't do the album. And when I started this process, I had a job. And um, I've never had trouble finding jobs, even if I quit or lost a job. Never had any trouble getting another job. I had plenty of marketable skills. Uh, but that was 2008, and that was when, you know, the stock market crashed and the economy tanked. I was working in the dental industry and you know what happens in a recession is that the only time you go to the dentist is when your your teeth hurt or you have an abscess you don't go for cleanings you don't go for um, teeth whitening or anything that's not needed you only go for emergencies so obviously the dentists um, laid off a lot of their employees which that was my situation and 
So I was unemployed for six months, but I did finish that album. It was, let's see, I left, left my ex in April and the album was finished in November. Yeah, that was an experience. And that isn't, doesn't even include finding out that my ex tried to sabotage my project. And you say, how in the world can my ex-husband, who I divorce, sabotage my, my album? Well, I will tell you, remember we had a studio in our house. He had recorded some piano tracks with my, my music teacher, Paul. You, you will see him on my, uh, my YouTube channel. He's the gentleman on the piano. He's in his 90s. Um, anyway, he recorded some tracks for me to sing solos in church. And that was pretty much what I was going to use to record my album. I, would, I just needed to add my vocals to it. So we had the tracks laid and they were in the machine. Um, so to date myself, we had a digital audio tape DAT machine teeny tiny little cassettes. Well, we had decided to upgrade at one point to a, a digital machine that you didn't have to worry about the tapes anymore because they were very volatile and, you know, we're in Arizona heat and dust and moisture. If they get in damage in any way that it affects the recording. All of you musicians, older musicians may be familiar with that process. So we had bought a, a digital machine. We loaded everything in our studio onto that digital machine. And so all you'd have to do is maybe burn a disc. You wanted a copy because in those, in that day, even then we didn't have, they had floppy disks. <laughs> they, we didn't really have thumb drives yet, at least not widely used. So this machine had a, uh, a disc drive so you could burn a CD. Those of you who don't know my story, when I left my ex-husband, he was out of town when, when I left. He was gone for two weeks. That's when I got all my stuff out of the house. So I took those tracks with me. I went into the studio and I, I took them with me, um, all of the, the discs. And because I planned on doing that recording immediately. And so, yeah, we went to the, I went to the studio and I don't know the engineer, but very nice folks. And he told us, me and a friend that was in the studio with me. I can't use these tracks. And I said, well, why not? I said, well, let me show you. So if you know anything about recording, or if you don't, you got the squiggly lines that go up and down. Well, that just kind of measures the meter of the sound. And so they're supposed to be between a certain range, high and a low range. You don't want to go up higher than that. You don't want to go lower than that range. Otherwise, it starts sounding terrible and distorting. And anyhow, so he showed me the the tracks on his equipment. And he said, you see these lines here? Well, the top goes way past the levels that are acceptable for recording. I can't use these. And I asked the engineer and I said, these tracks were recorded by a professional, professional engineer someone that does this for a living, is there any way that he could have done this by accident? And the engineer said, no. An amateur, yes. An amateur, someone that does not know what they're doing, but a professional engineer, professional sound engineer, a record producer could not do that by accident. That was on purpose. And I was really angry. <laughs> this was after the divorce. I was really angry and I 
sent him this angry email. So I called Paul up because we were still very, very good friends. Um, he's one of the very few fundamental Baptists that I am friends with. I can count them on one hand. How many friends from my past that I'm, a f I'm still good friends with? He is one of them. He is a fabulous friend. And he's in his mid-90s now. He still teaches piano um, and still still plays for church. So I call him up and I said, I need to redo these tracks, all of them, because <laughs> they're useless. So me and the engineer, he took his portable equipment and we went over to Paul's house and we recorded those tracks again. And I did finish the album. And people would think, well, maybe the sound engineer was lying. Well, I, I really don't think that the sound engineer had any reason to lie to me. He did not have any financial gain for lying to me. He did not know me from Adam. There wasn't any reason for him to lie to me, but my ex-husband certainly did have a reason for sabotaging my project, which he denies he did, but evidence is there. Anyhow, so now I had to decide going into my new church ministry because I wanted to, I wanted to sing the stuff I've always sang, but I also wanted to sing secular music and I wanted to sing contemporary Christian music. And for a long time, I felt guilty. It takes a long time to get Baptist guilt trips out of your head. Anybody that's that's from a very conservative background that says that you listen to fill-in-the-blank music, then, you know, you're not a real Christian or whatever. It took me a long time to feel comfortable in my own skin that because I wanted to record some blues, because I wanted to record some jazz, because I wanted to do some progressive rock, because I, I like um, singing classic rock songs, that I was, I was still a Christian. I still love Jesus. My husband, Brian, you know, he probably had a, a lot to do with that healing in that part of my life. Um, his journey is quite different than mine, if you listen to his interview. I've had people tell me my whole life that because I was a drummer that, you know, I was evil because I played drums. Well, drums is only a tool. A tool in the hands of a person. And a person can be a child of God and play the drums. Guess what? There's drums in the Bible. Probably don't believe me, but there, there are drums in the Bible. All kinds of instruments in the Bible. Now, a lot of <laughs> churches seem to be on their high horse and think that they know what the music in the Bible sounded like. They don't can only guess. Have you heard Middle Eastern music lately? Doesn't sound like Patch the Pirate. It doesn't sound like Majesty music. Well, we're more refined here. We only play classical music. Like I said, I really enjoy classical music and I've got books behind me on this bookshelf that talk about the biographies of some of these classical composers. It's very interesting. If you're interested in music at all, you probably have already done this, but start researching or start reading biographies on different musicians that have come before us. Their lives definitely were not perfect. And because they, they created beautiful music doesn't mean that their personal life was on par with what churches seem to think that Christianity is. I mean, Franz Liszt was a womanizer. I mean, Beethoven, he had uh, a temper. I mean, Mozart, he was really strange. Brilliant, brilliant man, but a different kind of life. And in, in fact, 
Mozart's music wasn't always accepted. His father was uh, Leopold, I believe. My memory serves me. Uh, he was kind of a rebellious kid. And so Leopold was a composer as well. And he wanted his child to follow in his footsteps. But Mozart wanted to create his own path. And thank God that he did, right? <laughs> we wouldn't have all the wonderful music that we have from him. Anyway, let's, let's switch gears here. Um, music is a very powerful tool. I will say that as a Christian, you should be asking the Lord about what you should be listening to. Don't listen to what the church is telling you. Don't listen to what your friends think you should listen to or maybe your family. Being a Christian is about a relationship with God. That is authentic Christianity, is a relationship with God. You heard Pastor Al's testimony about how God directed his steps. And that story I told at that interview about my ex-husband throwing all of his music in the dumpster, that is, that is a true story. I was not a part of that, throwing the stuff in the dumpster. Somebody else told him to do that. Uh, <laughs> some very good music that I felt bad that he had to throw out. But nobody should be telling you what kind of music to listen to. I mean, unless you are listening to obvious, these are lyrics about Satan and, and the devil, about murdering someone or raping somebody or let's do drugs. I mean, there's so much music out there, well-written music out there. It doesn't necessarily talk about God, subjects we can all relate to. We've all gone through emotions. We've all gone through experiences. Lots of love songs out there, good and bad. But, you know, if you're a teenager, obviously, if you're living under your parents' roof, then probably have to follow their rules until you are out of their house. But, you know, earbuds go a long way to not to offend your other people in the house that don't want to listen to your style of music. Um, Brian, my husband now, we pretty much 99% of the time like the same music. Probably why we get along so well is that we love the same music and we were both musicians and so we're always watching some concert on TV and as I mentioned music can put you in a state of euphoria. It can really bring up those happy hormones, you know. I do want to talk about some things about music. Yes, music is powerful but contrary to popular belief music cannot make you do something music cannot make you go rob a bank music cannot make you worship satan music cannot go make you abuse your family music cannot make you go kill somebody okay that's a myth we are responsible for our actions now if you're under the influence of drugs yes Drugs will change your body chemistry in a very significant way. I'm in the pharmacy industry, so I do know a bit about these things. So you are under, you know, the influence of drugs, obviously alcohol or, you know, cocaine or even marijuana. That will change your, your brain chemistry to the effect that depending on how much you take and your, your body weight, you don't know what you're doing. But that's not 
That is not what music does. Music cannot make you do anything. You're always sober when you're listening to music, but music still does have a power to affect your emotions. It will affect your, your mood, your perspective maybe on life, but you still have power to choose. If you're possessed by the devil, that's a spiritual problem. That's not, that is not caused by music choices. It would probably make you a little more vulnerable too if somebody comes along and tries to influence you to doing something that you don't want to do. I would say the same thing about video games. You know, Pastor Al, we've talked about video games. Yeah, I haven't played video games since grade school, but uh, we had Dr. Joe Martin on the show who was raised in the projects. That video game about stealing cars was modeled after his hometown. Did he go out and rob cars? No, he didn't. Did he see a lot of horrible things? Yes, he did. He saw his, his friends die. He saw murder, rape, and theft, and really poor role models. Did he follow in their footsteps? No, he didn't. He got out of the projects. Was it really, really difficult not to fall into that same hole, that same trap? And he said it was very, very difficult. But we still have a choice. When we're listening to music, we still have choices. I mean, the church claims that a certain kind of music is holier. But uh, I think that God can use most styles of music. I wouldn't say all, but majority of music out there is a gift. A gift that God has given us. It's not only for worship, because a lot of churches, they claim that music is only for worshiping God. I don't, I don't agree with that, to be honest with you. I think that music was created for our refreshment, for our enjoyment, for our, for our pleasure, for our entertainment. There are definitely songs or groups that I'll listen to. It's just for entertainment. I wouldn't really sing that in church or I wouldn't sing that in a, at a gig either, but it's just stupid, a stupid song and it's just for fun being childish right jumping on jumping on the trampoline twisted sister we're not gonna take it i mean <laughs> that's a stupid song it's twisted sister didn't really have very good songwriting to begin with uh yeah i grew up during that era of some stupid songs that don't have any quality or merit too but it's just for venting steam there's nothing wrong with that Music, I don't think music is holy or unholy. Music itself is neutral. Neutral meaning music cannot sin. Music is a tool in a human being's hands. I'm a huge Keith Green fan, and he is the one that explained this in a lot of his sermons and his writings. Music is only a tool. Music is not holy. It's not unholy. There are no Christian music bands. There's no holy music. Music doesn't have a soul. Music doesn't make choices. Music was not part of the fall of man. And I know I'm getting nitpicky here, but you should hear some of the stupid conversations that I am a part of about people being judged by their music choices. Ah, uh, so music, music itself is an inanimate, it's not even an inanimate object, like a drum set. It's just, you know, rubber, steel, uh, some skins, and a couple sticks. There's nothing evil about a drum set. 
can't make choices. It can't do anything. It is only a tool in somebody's hands. Namely, my husband's very capable, talented hands. I mean, yeah, you have people. People behind those instruments. I had never been into a, in a church that had an electric guitar and a drum set until I went into my friend Julie's church after my divorce. And I couldn't believe, wow, these people are worshiping the Lord with these instruments. I've never seen that before. And it just blew my mind. And I was, I was just crying my eyes out because it was really beautiful. I don't remember what songs they were playing, but I went up and hugged the band leader afterwards. And I, I said, you know, I am just so grateful for the music that you played today at church. I'm sure I'm going to get emails and I'm sure I'm going to get nasty tweets about this, but you don't have to agree with me. You don't have to agree with me. I, um, I think there's room for differences of opinion. We are all sinners. We are fallen human beings in need of a savior. So even to say that, well, this person is holy and this person is unholy. Well, technically we are all unholy. The only holiness we get is from the Lord. The Lord Jesus comes into our heart and makes us holy before him. Do we still do sinful things? Yes. Do we still hate people? Yeah. Do we still get in arguments with our family? Yes. Do we still get tempted to cheat on our taxes or have an affair? Yes, we do. We are sinful human beings. So to say that, well, this artist is okay to listen to, but this other artist is not because I don't agree with their lifestyle or I don't agree with their doctrinal statement. You know, we, we have choices. We have choices what we get to what, what we get to listen to in our home. Just be, be cautious about how you accuse somebody or judge somebody for their choices in music because that's not what you would choose. Okay, are they out robbing banks? Are they out, you know, killing people? Are they doing drugs? Are they assaulting girls? Whatever. Otherwise, you know, leave them alone. <laughs> you don't answer for their choices in music. I don't answer for your choices. You don't answer for mine. But I think that, you know, saying that listening to Bach is holier than listening to Stephen Curtis Chapman or listening to Petra. These are all different styles of music all done by Christians, and it's their personal expression of music. I write music myself, and my songs aren't really songs that you would sing in church. They are written for a specific purpose, for a, a specific audience. They're not, uh, they're not worship tunes. Some of them aren't feel-good tunes either. <laughs> but, so let's, let's talk about how does music play into healing. How can we use music as a healing tool in our own life right now? You who are survivors, you're going through hard times. Um, so what I would say to survivors, when you listen to music, it is a great coping tool or it can be used to feed your poor emotions. Now it's, it's better than using drugs or alcohol or sex or sleep to deal with your pain. So I'm not saying that not to use music. But what I would encourage you to do 
evaluate the kind of music that you're listening to, not because it's right or wrong or good or bad. Remember, Pastor Al was talking about Christian maturity. How far along are you in your journey? Can you handle listening to something that's sad if you're sad? I would say to choose music with a positive message. Choose music with chord progressions and instruments that are in a major key. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, a lot of sad songs are written in a minor key. So here's a major key. It's very pretty. And then here's a minor key. Hear that sadness in there? Very sad sounding. And there's definitely a place for sad songs. Uh, all kinds of chords that they make in order to evoke a particular emotion. Again, music creates emotions. Uh, they want you to feel something. They want you to feel anger or they want you to feel patriotic or they want you to feel sad or happy or in love. Try to surround yourself with positive music, something with thoughtful verses, something that's life-changing, something that's powerful. And pick the music that makes you feel good. Don't pick music to listen to that makes you feel more depressed or more hopeless or angry or sad. Maybe down the road when you're farther along in your healing journey, you can listen to a sad song and not break out into tears or get even angrier than you already are. Yeah, music music can feed into your, your mental state right now. You know why they use minor key violins? You know why they use that? Everybody talks jokingly about the, the little violin, you know, pity party. Let me see here. Here we go with the sadness. And you've got your, your powerful anthems. You know, if you listen to the Washington Post or you listen to Hail to the Chief or any of those kind of songs during the 4th of July, what kind of feeling does that invoke in you? It usually invokes pride of my country. I have patriotism for my country called marching music for a reason. That's what they use. That creates powerful emotions with that. We have, you know, joyful elation. We got scary music, horror movies, Jaws. Let's see if I can figure out the... Everybody knows what Jaws sounds like. It scares the tar out of anybody going into the ocean now. <laughs> Let's see, I've got an organ sound here. It's a pipe organ. It's fabulous. Let's see if I can find it. It's my favorite thing on this Juno is this pipe organ. I don't play the organ. My uh, piano teacher has an organ. Here's one that's really funny. Like It's called soap opera. <laughs> so you can imagine Charles, I am not in love with you anymore. I am in love with your brother, who is the father of my child that I'm expecting. Just having a little fun here, a little fun here. 
I'm still looking for my cathedral organ. Here we go. Isn't that fabulous? That's like, sounds like there's a, a pipe organ right in my studio here. So let's see if I can remember the intro to Bach's Fugue in D minor. Awesome, right? That's, that's all I can do without sheet music in front of me. But we all know that tune. By the way, it was not written to be scary, <laughs> but it was included in a horror movie once and it kind of stuck, but it's, it was not created to be scary, which is kind of interesting. I was watching The Time Machine, the really old one from the 60s, H.G. Um, Wells, and that, the music in that movie is creepy. They don't show a whole lot. A lot of it's left to your imagination as to what's going on. But you'll have to watch it if you've never watched it. There's a there's a new one. There's a modern one, and then there's the one from the '60s. And the music is creepy. <laughs> but I don't I don't watch horror movies because it does not make me feel good. I know there's no boogeyman under the bed or whatever, but. I just, it does not do well for my nervous system, does not do well for my sleep schedule, because <laughs> stuff just goes swimming around in your head. You know, I don't need to watch scary movies before bed, neither do you. Uh, I haven't, let's see, I haven't watched any since probably high school, you know, with the Freddy Krueger and Nightmare on Elm Street, I think I watched, I think I watched the original Night of the Living Dead. Psycho, but I, I, I haven't listened to it. I haven't watched any in a very long time. But I've got friends that absolutely love to watch horror movies. Uh, let's see. My fellow podcaster, Eric Skwarzynski, who's a filmmaker, loves horror movies. So anyway, I hope that you're understanding what I'm I'm trying to tell you about, about music. How to use it for your advantage. I have several friends that have autistic children that have just kind of shut down and their parents didn't know how to deal with them with, you know, their, their spectrum of autism that they've had. Um, and then one of my friends, he's a music teacher and he got his son into music, playing keyboards and a little bit of singing. And just to see the transformation, his father has stated He's a different kid because of music. Music has, again, it has a way of getting into your into your soul, into your psyche, into your emotions and your brain like nothing else can. It can really lift your spirits. And it's been proven that music works a different part of your brain. And it creates those endorphins instead of those stress hormones that we don't all need. We need a whole lot less of stress hormones. Really good music it has the power to give you those happy hormones through your body. If you've ever been to a yoga class or watched one on TV, they're not using, you know, death metal. Uh, they're not using some rap music that talking about killing their mother it's they're using something serene and peaceful and quiet maybe a few birds chirping some you know a babbling brook in the background the ocean those things are very soothing 
to your nervous system. You're having trouble sleeping. I know people that have used those noise machines. I need absolute quiet when I go to sleep. I, I sleep like a rock. I don't like noise. I can sleep with the light on, but I, I can't sleep with noise. But other people, they swear by these noise machines. That you... So I'm hoping that you are enjoying my musings about my musical journey. I'm going to continue to talk about music in another episode, part two, maybe part three. We'll see what I come up with. I don't want to bore anyone, but music is a very popular topic, so I think you will find, find these interesting. I love talking about it. I don't know about you. I will also talk a little bit about my new project that I'm working on, my new album. So join me next time. Thanks so much for listening or watching and sharing this podcast with your friends is appreciated. So see you next week. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.